So, welcome back to the Birdie Bug Pod, episode 12. So, yeah, so I guess we'll do our normal little catch-up. Yeah, look at Have that. Have you got catch-up? Nope. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I brought some last week, that's so me that's, done. So that's one out of 12 episodes we've got. No, you've had a little had bit. a little bit. I'd um, like to look back, actually, and see what your percentage know. of catch-up is. This is your segment, it's fine. <laughs> oh, no, because I haven't got a great deal. My only catch-up is, or my only note is, apologies if I sound a bit funny, I'm a bit bunged up. You so are a bit, found a bit nasally. Hmm. And then that is that's why. Anyway, what's your what's your catch up before well, we dive in? My catch up sort of I mentioned I did touch on it last episode that I'd volunteered for the RSPB and um and I've now actually got into the work and um so I've been quite I've been quite involved getting my head around the things. We're writing articles about various things and uploading them onto a network and uh, so I've been quite busy doing that in amongst trying to work and earn a living. Uh, amongst other things um so apart from that which has been quite, it's been quite time consuming but i'm really enjoying it and i'm really enjoying the people that i'm working with um and we're sat here in rspb hoodies we are sitting here you've got your barn owl one on and i've got my kestrel one on and uh, i actually had a team meeting this morning sitting in my kestrel rspb uh, hoodie which was a, a topic of conversation in its own right at the meeting which was quite fun so, um, so yes, I've just been heavily involved uh, since the last episode in, in trying to really get up to speed with that. And um, you bought a new camera lens. Bought a new camera lens. First time ever that I've owned a prime telephoto lens, um, which has been amazing, really. Just Already see. getting nice shots with it as well. Yeah. Um, Although I, was, I will say that I did get, what, like... Uh, uh, phd thesis length email from you trying to describe decide what lens or camera or system to buy followed up by a phone call and multiple whatsapp messages it's I been an ordeal about three months of research and non-stop viewing but there videos. we go decision made but i made the decision i was i was using I, i'm a nikon user and i was using a sigma lens telephoto lens uh, but i've been hankering for putting a native prime nikon lens on my camera for a while and um, i'm pleased because it now that you haven't changed system and it's a nickel lens i can nick it for mine as well yes you can and i have this big deliberation i don't know if people listening know anything about photography and cameras but those that do um i've been deliberating a lot on the mirrorless system as opposed to um keeping my dslr Uh, people who know cameras will know what i'm talking about and it's like everything marketing uh, the the big manufacturers are marketing so heavily, saying you know you you must have this, you need this, you need this new camera. And actually, what I'm learning is just put some better glass on your existing camera, and that puts you up a little level. And it has, you know, I have gone up a little notch on my um, image quality and uh, usability as well. Um, so yeah, I'm having great fun with it. I just haven't been out quite enough with it yet. I've only had it a week, and all I want to do is get out there and it's sod's law that the weather has changed yeah. since I bought it. Uh, it's now grey and flat and miserable. So I'm waiting for the waiting for spring sunshine yeah, to really go out there and get some uh, some use of it. But still cool. It's very still cool exciting. and I'm very, uh, very happy with my decision yet. Good. So you've got nothing? Not really. I haven't been out. Weather's been pretty bad. Uh, no, I've just been working and that's it really. Working and training. 
That's it. Okay. All right. Then, in which case, we'll, we'll go straight into the episode. We'll crack on with our our latest episode, which is one that you've uh, you've come up with. Um, yeah. See, I make up for my lack of catch up by coming up with topics. Well, I think this topic is quite uh, relevant to you and your work, isn't it? Because I know you've talked about this topic in your. Well, posts. I created. I did one post on. Yeah, it, you but did they a, are... You did a little topic about yeah. it, didn't you? On, so um... to clarify, we're going to be talking about water voles. Um, they are just awesome little creatures but they also have had a bit of a rough time yeah. for the last few decades and so in our normal structure that we've done a couple of times we've done a few species specific episodes we'll talk about you know a little introduction to water voles as ecology and behavior and stuff and why they're so good and why they're awesome to have uh, in the ecosystem yeah. what happened that's caused them to become britain's fastest declining mammal and then, as always, highlighting the projects and the organisations that are out there working hard to bring them back. And yeah, so just good. standard structure that we do for for an animal, but this week it's the water vault. Yes, and I think um, I think you'll probably have more contribution on this than me. I've done some research on water voles. I knew a little bit before I did the research, but actually, it's some really it's a really interesting little animal, it is, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and it's had an interesting and not always the nicest time. Um, but, yeah, so. Well, you kick off then and uh, and tell us what a water vole is. It's right. not a water rat, it's no. a water vole. So they are, like rats, they are rodents, semi-aquatic. Um, I, I, so this is going to be a really niche reference, but I always want to say semi-aquatic egg-laying mammal of action, which is a <laughs> Perry the Platypus from Phineas and Ferb. Um, every time I see... Well, you semi- said it now, yeah. haven't you? So. <laughs> Anybody out there who's sort of 90s kid will, will know Phineas and Ferb. Um <laughs> I'm really glad you got that one in. I'm yeah. going to leave that in, definitely. <laughs> so, yeah, they're semi-aquatic rodent. Uh, they are sometimes referred to as a water rat, uh, but there isn't a there isn't an animal called a water rat. We do obviously have, like, brown rats, and they are sometimes spotted along the water, but they are not, like, their own... They're not different to the rats you find in fields and cities. Um, they... I don't actually think they look that rat-like. They've got quite round noses. They're quite spherical little little creatures, uh, they've got deep brown fur. They're quite chubby um, and sh- sort of short ears. Um, I don't. I don't think the book uh, "Wind in the Willows" helped in that respect no. because there was a character called Ratty, and he was actually a water vole. Yeah. So maybe that inspired yeah. a generation to sort of call them water rats yeah. or, or refer to them as Ratty. Um, but the other sort of real giveaway is they don't have like a long rat tail, particularly or anything like that. Um, and their their tails are actually covered in fur, so they don't. That's why you know the rats or a mouse as well their tail is quite pink yeah. and things like that they're, they're sort of all furry all round uh one of the sad or well not sad but one of the things is they have a very short lifespan yes i've read that it's only like five months yeah. or something isn't in, it? in the wild it's about five months they'll sometimes hit about a year is that is that normal for a small mammal five well, months if you think obviously we had pet rats for example rodents don't live very long anyway no, but i thought it was sort of two years yeah, or... especially in, in captivity when they're all fine maybe yeah a bit more of a stressful life out yeah. there in the wild in captivity they do live to two and a half years it's right. just in the wild it's much shorter um so sort of lifestyle given in their name they they live alongside sort of rivers and streams and especially like grassy ditches near ponds or, or anything like that around lakes they're not too fussy as long yeah as they're pretty widespread or they were certainly um widespread around the whole of the uk yeah, aren't they so. they they used to be incredibly common um and and they they eat grass and waterside vegetation actually a, a study found that 227 different plant species have been found to be part of their diet um so they they're not fussy eaters 
just any yeah. sort of water. And they are good, a bit like um, a bit like beavers, but not on quite the same level. They are really good ecosystem engineers, aren't yeah, they? They're they, very important for the health of the river and the surrounding ecosystem, yeah, aren't they? They um, again, obviously on a smaller scale, but they they create quite extensive systems of burrows yes. that they live in. And this combined with sort of their general grazing of vegetation just changes some of the soil structure, changes the bank of the river. It can actually impact the whole nutrient levels and nutrient density of rivers, stuff like that. So it, it again, alters the ecosystem, which can then influence the presence of invertebrates and yes, and wildflowers yeah. and the flora and fauna really benefit yeah. from the way they disturb the soil. And, um, and, the, and talking about their little complex of burrows, that also is really good for refuge for things like amphibians and, yeah. um, and various other small mammals use their sort of little complex of tunnels and burrows don't they yeah so, so they are you say they're not quite the uh, poster boy of the ecosystem engineering that the beaver is but they definitely play a role in changing the habitat uh like, like we said they they used to be very common i i've only ever seen two i think the first one i saw was was along the the river in arundel yeah i've seen them a few times along there in that little that little bit of river that runs alongside the road yeah the yeah, road not actually in the wetland center but yeah. sort of along the parking I, they are in the them. wetland center because they are they put out um little information boards about yeah. you can see water voles along here if you're lucky so i know they do have them in the wetland typically center. uh or more commonly you might not see one if you if you're walking and you disturb them and you hear it's quite a characteristic sort of plop yeah. as they plonk themselves yeah. into the water, you you can sort of hear them dip off the the side of the bank and, and plop into the water. Uh, you can also sort of find signs of their presence. Uh, they they quite like to sit in the same spot to have their food, and so if you find like little piles of nibbled grass at quite yeah. a characteristic forty five degree cut of the grass, if you want to That's get very that specific. specific. <laughs> um, it's normally a good sign you've got water voles. Have they got a protractor they use yeah. to they, they only eat at a certain angle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, they're definitely creatures of habit. Yeah. They have their spot for their... Yeah, I'll say I've seen them a few times along that little stretch in Arundel and uh, it's always really exciting actually when you see them, yeah. isn't it? Because it's it's a kind of... Now is kind of a, a rare novelty, event. Yeah. I actually think they formed... Spotting the water vole on the, uh, in Arundel actually was one of the first articles I ever wrote on my original blog because it was just an exciting thing yeah. for me. Yeah. for me to see um i mean there was a huge population before well pre-1920s and we'll tell you a little bit more about that date and why that's quite specific um but you know i've got a statistic here of eight million plus yeah were in the uk prior to the problems it then faced from a certain period onwards well but, we, we might as well go into that now yeah then. um so yeah they were very common you said from the 1920s <clears throat> yeah a lot of my information is a little bit later so if you want to kick off with the 1920s and well apparently they were brought in it's a sorry they were brought in it was an american mink that was brought in yeah in 1929 apparently oh, I've in got a much later no 20 around the 28 29 was the first time that america ever brought them in mink were brought in and they were brought in purely for fur farming but i've got then that it was in the 50s that was a real peak of yeah. fur farming and there yeah. was upwards of 400 farms in this country that were that were farming mink american mink for for their fur. fur yeah so and it was from that point onwards that they then i think i've got here by 1956 
they were being found, these American mink were being found in the wild, so they'd obviously escaped. Yeah, there's, they they did escape, and, and they were also released a few times from people who maybe had too many or, or yeah. whatever. And, and the American mink, were, we ought to clarify, is one of the major reasons for yeah. the decline in water voles, because obviously they were predated by American mink on a on a, a dramatic scale. Yeah, so essentially, yeah, that, that, essentially um, they, they became... <laughs> And, and I think still are the UK's fastest declining mammal. And they've lost something around 97% of the population since the 1970s. There's only 100,000 left, yeah, apparently. Yeah, from 8 million. From 8 million. Uh, so it, it's a, a shocking level yeah. of decline. And, and there's a few reasons, because we, we see you know, non-native species um, be accidentally introduced a few times, and they often cause some issues for, for the native wildlife. But this is like... This is a next level um, problem for the waterfowl. And, and there's a few problems uh, specifically for this. And uh, we've mentioned a few times, for example, with the reintroduction of beavers and people being concerned about them causing problems for native wildlife. But we always say they co-evolved. You know, they, yeah. the, the beaver evolved with the native fish. And so they're sort of well adapted to one another. Obviously, the waterfowl did not evolve with the presence of a predator such as the, the, the mink. American mink. Yeah, And so... They just don't really have any countermeasures. The mink will follow the voles underwater. They'll follow them into the into the burrows, burrows especially yeah. the the females and, and the younger mink. Don't have any problem running down a, a water vole burrow. So it's not like they can even escape back into their little network. And so they really don't have any means of escape. And apparently, the the article I read said that from the presence of a of mink in the same area as the waterfalls, a colony can be wiped out in a, a couple of weeks. Wow! So it really doesn't take very long uh, for them to have a yeah. Real the problem is impact. from that point onwards, and even to this day, there is absolutely no official strategy for trying to control this mink. Yeah, population. There, there are a few in certain areas, yeah. and a few have tried to be implemented but there's not like a widespread no and so they haven't successfully been able to solve that problem of this mink that's obviously now well established and um you know in 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 these areas so i mean yeah like you said the the real peak of this was sort of 1970s 80s and 90s those sort of that 30 year period um particularly just decimated a lot of population and i imagine you, you can look across and say, oh, from the 1990s to where we are now, the decline hasn't been quite so rapid, but that's just because there are fewer waterfalls out yeah, there. So yeah. The predation is lower because they've taken out most of Yeah, and it's not, obviously, again, it's not all down to the American mink, although that, that is a massive factor. It's the, it's the um, main factor. The main factor. There are other issues uh, similar to the ones that we've discussed on many an occasion. Yeah, well, the... the Issues that we talk about, whether it's birds or beavers or, or whatever, it they normally spread across the the whole ecosystem and impact more than one species. Yeah. Um, so as per as per, especially sort of from the nineteen forties and fifties, as agriculture intensified and urbanisation intensified and habitats were polluted and areas were built on. Yeah. So it's that normal thing of habitat loss, pollution, pollution pesticides, all of those, uh, and urban development and all those agricultural normal. practices that have changed. Um, we, we seem to be banging the same drum every time yeah, we're talking about 
the norm- decline of the species, aren't they? Normal so. culprit. The the urbanisation of floodplains uh, with with further development just literally removed a lot of their habitat. Yeah. So they just lost a lot of livable space. Uh, you've also then got heavily grazed areas by livestock, which removed a lot of sort of the wetland yeah. habitats because uh, those sorts of yeah, they drained the farm. They, they drained and, the farms, yeah. and even when you see the uh, livestock grazing along a river, they will just take all the vegetation, and it's just a loss of food for for other animals because you've got a whole field full of well, grazing it's also animals. The they, slurry waste yeah. going in, uh, you know, into the rivers and and all of that stuff. Yeah, they also we we talk about water loss engineering uh, the environment. Cattle and and heavy grazing animals trample down a lot of the soil especially long banks and stuff and it just makes it not really suitable for burrowing animals at all yeah. so again they negatively engineer the environment that sort of reduces the suitability of the habitat um also the other factor which we we've touched on a few times is as we'll definitely notice the last couple of years there's been an increase in flooding and drought yeah. which again impacts food availability as well as the soil and the nutrients and all that sort of stuff that impacts the ecosystem that's also had a bit of an impact and perhaps that impact wouldn't have been quite so severe if it wasn't for the fact that they're already struggling um so because of the mink and the urbanization you sent you tend to get little pockets of small populations that are surviving but that makes those small populations quite uh vulnerable to if, if one bad thing happens there's not a lot of uh resilience in a small population and if you wipe it out they're not going to recover it's not like having a big population a small section survives and they eventually over time rebuild if it's a small isolated population it's quite easy for them just to be wiped out yeah. and they're not going to be connected yeah. to other pockets so it's going to be hard for waterfalls to find their way back essentially um with the pollution it's interesting because no study has actually been done to look at the direct impact of pollution on water voles but i don't know given the fact that it impacts the rest of the aquatic ecosystem i think it's relatively logical to say that it's probably impacted water voles yeah um so it, it we can't i don't know we can't like solidly say increased pollution has led to the decline of water voles there hasn't been a lot of research on it, but that could just simply be because they're quite rare now. So it's sort of hard to set up a good study when you haven't got a variety of populations to follow and monitor. Yeah, and I guess also, um, you know, you working for the Rivers Trust in particular, um, the health of our rivers is not great now. No. And um, all of that must have an impact as yeah, well. Yeah, they, like all uh, semi-aquatic or fully aquatic animals that live in our rivers and waterways, they rely on healthy vegetation, yeah. which obviously is reliant on insects and all the other animals and it's well it's a nice chain isn't it if one bit gets sort of uh, scuppered it, it has knock-on impacts yeah. and so yeah having unhealthy rivers and poor habitat is just gonna not be conducive yeah, to and, good healthy waterfowl population and now i see you know we talk i've talked in the past about um the conservation red list for birds um the waterfowl is now protected in the uk and it is a priority red yeah. list species. So, um, and again, that red list relates to the, the extent of the decline over a given period, um, you know, as a percentage. And if it's over a certain percentage, it goes on to a red list of um, of a threatened species. And it is now, I was I was reading actually, Scotland in particular, it's a near threatened species where it's, it's the population, they're hardly seen at all in Scotland now. 
and um, so it is in it is in real trouble yeah. this little water vault. Yeah, there are. We'll again we'll go on to it. There as ever. There are individuals, peoples, or people, organisations that are working have recognised this and are working hard to to try and save this little mammal that is so important to our to our waterways. They are also just quite adorable. Oh, yeah, I was I watched a video. <laughs> very actually. charismatic little creatures. Yeah, I watched a video of a little rescue, a YouTube video of a a little rescue centre that um, rescued water voles when there was. Uh, activity on farms and everything and actually they had a huge um, population of water voles that they rescued they then tried to um, uh, look after them and then release them again into the into the wild it's fascinating little video but you realize that this these people they that's what they did and they were just doing it for the love of trying to save this little animal and I just I've got so much respect for people like that who give up so much of their time and their energy, and they get very little help. Yeah, they, um, they do. And is it what was, from a from a point of view of you know governing bodies and what have you, they get very little help, no funding. Uh, there are people out there that are doing incredible things, actually, and they feel like they're fighting a you know a lost cause half the time. But they, it doesn't stop them, and I'm 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 in awe of these people, and I've got so much respect for them when you when you see the work that's being done. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit like when you watch, well, on a slightly large scale, if you like the Beaver Trust, there's a whole organisation yeah. of people out there releasing beavers, just yeah. pushing for the legislation and pushing for yeah. the, the work and the funding to, to and, get them And, you know, back. I talked about the Curly organisation yeah. that, that's that's pushing so hard to try and get something done. And but some, it's actually interesting. And it's brilliant. I, obviously, I just said, you know, they're a very charismatic, attractive little mammal. And, and I always like to put the caveat in that that doesn't mean that they deserve any more attention than just because they're cute just, yeah because yeah. it is always the way the cute fluffy animals get funding more than the insects that are disappearing or, or the animals that people traditionally don't uh sort of i don't know make a connection with but it's surprising there isn't more push and i mean we, i've got quite a lot of information which we'll go into about all the work that's being done but they're they're a native species they're very you know they're not controversial at all they, yeah. they don't eat fish or cause any issues yeah. for anyone yeah. and they are fluffy cute yeah in our storybooks and everything so you would think that they would be quite an easy one to win people over for but it's just it's a it's a, it's a yes, it's niche not, conservation it's, worry isn't it people want the water voles back it's not the government's top priority yeah. list over fighting climate change or anything like that it's, and, it, and it's not like you know the controversy that's caused by the reintroduction of raptors you know on farmland yeah, and and what have you, and it's nothing like that. It is a native species, species to the to Britain and or the UK, and it should be, it, it should, should be back, be, be back. Well, well, it is. Yeah, it is still there. It should just be, you know, needs more help. Yeah, let's get eight million back. That's the goal. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, so that leads us quite nicely on to some of the positive stories yeah. that, that's being done, and I, I've got I've got quite a few to be fair. Um, I, I read that in twenty fourteen. They were released in Cornwall, and that apparently was the very first time that they were back in every English county since 1989. Oh, wow. I, hadn't, I didn't get that stat. I didn't read which, that. Which so. is quite cool. Yeah, that, that was quite a long time ago now, yeah. sadly. Um, I've got in 2020, they, they were reintroduced to London, uh, and this is in a tributary of the River Tame, Thames. 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 River Thames. Yeah. Um, and it was done by a little, quite a small rewilding group called Citizen Zoo. And essentially they were just trying to 
bring them back and, and, and reintroduce water voles to the Hogsmill River in Kingston as well. Uh, they're not actually going to be released until 2022. At the moment, they're doing all the surveys. They've got to check for presence of mink, for example, yeah. as well as just water quality and habitat suitability. And, and they also have to raise a fair amount of money to source the water voles as well. It's right. more expensive than, than you would think. It'd be interesting to know how many American mink there are yeah. with a population, wouldn't it? I, I guess that has never been surveyed either. No, it'd be interesting, be interesting to, to find out. It's also, I've it? just realised that they, I've said they won't be re-released until 2022. It is obviously past 2022, so I need to see if there's an update. I wonder whether it was halted at all because of COVID, because I didn't... See, this was uh, okay. the most recent article I yeah. could find about this project, so maybe it was yeah. halted, because again, it's all volunteers out there, so getting people together and stuff like that is always yeah. a bit trickier. Yeah. Um, but... The, the the aim is once they've been released, is this this group will continue to monitor their presence and monitor any threats to them and, and make sure that it ends up being successful. So they're they're having a go in London. Uh, I've got quite a few. I don't know if you want. You want no, to, well, I've got to be you honest. Keep going? Yeah, you keep going because I haven't got. I've got obviously f- some links for the for the show notes and things and organisations that I was looking for for facts on. So, but, all right, well, sit back and relax. I've got a few nice I'll stories. Sit, I'll sit back and relax. Twenty twenty one, they were back into the River Ver in Herefordshire. In fact, I never know how to say that one. Um, so this is the. They, they they shorten it to Hertz and Middlesex Wildlife Trust. It's quite a mouthful. Yeah. Um, essentially, in partnership with a Valley Society and a few private landowners, they reintroduced them to a little stretch of the River Ver. Uh, they're aiming to have a thriving population um, in every river in in Herefordshire by 2030. So that's oh, quite okay. a nice yeah, goal. That's a good target. Um, so to follow up from that, that 2021 release, they actually then released in 2022 waterfalls back into the river Bean. Is that how you said? B e a n e. Yeah, I haven't. It's not a river I've heard of. That's what honest. I'm going to say. River Bean. Uh, I'm correct me if people want to correct me. More than otherwise, 100... it'll be Bean. Bean. <laughs> I don't think it will be that. <laughs> well, <laughs> this same same wildlife trust. Uh, more than 130 river voles were reintroduced there. Um, the last recorded uh, water vole population before this project in the River Bean uh, was back in 2000. So it's been 20-odd okay. years since they've actually been in this river. And so they then... Is that a little pun? Uh, yes, yeah, since they've been back in this river. That was completely intentional. Um, <laughs> so quite a lot of work's been done in Herefordshire yeah. by, by the Wildlife Trust. But the story I liked the most was a project called Restoring Ratty. So okay. off on that, that um, Wind in the Willow yeah. uh, reference. reference. Yeah. It was a, an award-winning conservation project, uh, essentially just to, again, restore waterfalls in the Calder Water and Forest Park. I don't know if that's how you say it. Um, but this is up in Northumberland, right? And it won a prestigious award at the Chartered Institute of Ecology and Environmental Management in 2019, and it was a five-year partnership between Northumberland Wildlife Trust, Forestry Commission England, and the Tyne Rivers Trust. Ah, so okay. Always like to name drop a member trust of the the River Trust group out there working hard. Um, and the project reintroduced 1,205 water voles to the banks of this of the watercourses. And they won the award for best practice in large scale nature conservation. That's, that's a lot, isn't it? Fifteen hundred. Wow. Yeah. How um, brilliant is that? 
It's the largest water vole reintroduction in one place that's ever been undertaken in the UK, which I just thought was it's a five-year project. Between... You've just got to hope they get down to some real active mating. Yeah. Because <laughs> I've, I've got here, they have um, three or four litters a year. Um, oh, no, not a year, because they only in live their for lifespan. five months. Yeah. In their lifespan. They are busy. And they have approximately five young per litter. So yeah, so you've just got to hope. 1,500 get at it. It could be all right, yeah. couldn't it? But it's, it's just nice to see that, like, like we've said, um, perhaps they don't always get the attention that some of the bigger names in conservation do but winning a quite prestigious um award it would be interesting to see also you know we've talked uh, in the past or recently about the cop 15 and in fact i was um i was watching a program last night where they mentioned it might even been a news bulletin about um the funding for conservation and and saving the wildlife and the planet uh, and the funding that was coming from COP15 and the billions that were going to be raised, it'd be interested to see whether any of it filters down into these to these smaller organisations that are trying to save things like yeah. the water vault. I mean, to be fair, in that, that partnership, yeah, Northumberland Wildlife Trust, I, I can't comment on their size, um, but Forestry Commission England are, are, are a big organisation. Yeah. Um, and it's nice to see that collaboration between a Rivers Trust, a Wildlife Trust and the Forestry Commission yeah, all, all working because uh, being semi-aquatic, they sort of wander into everybody's jurisdiction. Yeah. So it's good to have more than just a river restoration yeah. project, for example, making sure that the surrounding habitat is is suitable. Well, that's a, that's a really good news story. I like that one. Yeah. So again, maybe we'll have to do some reading and some follow-up to see, yeah. I know, down the line uh, how successful they've been. Um, we mentioned, well, I mentioned very briefly in the what went wrong, that pollution isn't uh, directly studied in, in uh, links to, to waterfall decline. And I can sit here and talk for days about how bad the pollution levels are in our rivers. Obviously, we've mentioned a few good stories where there are rivers that are coming back a little bit, especially like the Mersey and, yeah. and things like that. There has been, it's hard for me, there, there has been a push for tighter legislation around pollution in rivers can't really comment on the success because most of them are still quite bad but we have definitely seen an increase in otter populations yeah they are becoming more common um across the country you don't really have to go all the way up to scotland to see otters anymore they are no i think there's quite a few good population down in the southwest now isn't there and what is important about that is they are a direct competitor of the american mink and so where otters are heavily present you're far less likely to find mink otters don't really do so well at predating on like a waterfall they're much bigger they're fish eaters really it's not really what they're going for so if, if we can bring otters back as well they out compete in places or at least compete with the mink yeah and so it's a not only are otters a brilliant indicator that the river and waterway must be healthy yeah. but they are also quite a good way of muscling out some of some of the presence they're quite of the feisty mink. aren't yeah. they otters so in in that sense as well, it sort of goes hand in hand. The fact that if we healthier rivers, we've got nice otter populations, they almost create. We need to do safe... a pod about otters. I, I think love we should. Otters. I love I love otters. Mm. Again, potentially they sometimes cause controversy, controversy, and really shouldn't. Um, but so, is it controversy or controversy? Either controversy <laughs> or either controversy. Controversy. Con- I think I say controversy. Anyway. Anyway. Um, so yeah. As, uh, 
I can I can very easily say that the legislation for pollution is not going very well in most places, but there are some places where we're seeing otters return, and and that's a good thing, not just for the sake of we all love otters, but it also, funnily enough, provides a safer area for waterfalls to live. As funnily well. enough, that's the a conflicting view to the environmental minister who was on the news last night, who was saying there's a huge amount being done for. Um, restoring our rivers. Well, they can go swim in them then, can they? <laughs> and actually, because the interviewer was uh, claiming that pollution and sewage and was at an all-time high, and she refuted that. And did said, she? Yes. Interesting. But we won't go there because no. it's a bit political. But it's, I did sit there very... going, really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Talk I, to my son about you that. You see, so even not with the rivers, obviously, this is a bit of a tangent. You see the, the pollution being dumped into especially in like cornwall like off the, yeah, the beaches in yeah. cornwall and you do sometimes get the politicians of no, those just disturbed mud. of those areas come out and say actually yeah no it's fine and then everyone's like well go swim in it then mate because it reeks um but yeah it is it is a, i think there was one politician that said it was just it was disturbed, disturbed mud, mud or sand because of the rain they? yeah Mm, yeah, very. Which it really wasn't. Yeah. Like anyway, so, well, we he can be the first to go for a nice wild swim. Yeah. But yeah, that's all. That that was. Those were the main stories I had. I think the the emphasis was that from London to Cornwall to Herefordshire to Northumberland, there are wildlife trusts, rivers trusts, citizen groups with volunteers who are. I think the citizen group in London was funded by a private landowner who had money. Ah, okay. That's that's nice. Who wanted to do something for for his area. And so there are people out there, again, as we always say, working in the background, normally with minimal money and a lot of volunteers to do habitat management and surveys and and fundraise to get wildlife back. And in this case, water voles are coming back slightly. And hopefully we will continue to slow uh, their decline and and put it into the positives where their populations are going up rather than. Rather than that. Yeah, there's some really good organisations. Waterfold.org.uk is a really good one and a really good website actually to, uh, you know, to find out more about waterfalls and why they're so good and and what can be, what people are doing to help them. So um, yeah, same with we'll, like the mammal society as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think we we always set, uh, and this might be the first time uh, the RSPB do a fair amount on their reserves, but actually the the people who seem to be really taking the lead are the wildlife trusts. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, it's a, in the same way that you have a Rivers Trust and then Tyne Rivers Trust and Wessex Rivers Trust, you have the Wildlife Trust and everywhere you go, like we've mentioned Northumberland, the Herefordshire and Middlesex, Middlesex Wildlife Trust, yeah. they are spread out in every county yeah. and they are doing a huge amount. Um, and it is interesting, actually, because whenever I'm doing research for our podcasts and species specific things, the Wildlife Trust seems come to up. have a huge amount of resource on... A myriad of uh, of subjects. Yes, like their website is also very very. Website good. is absolutely brilliant. Um, so you can find out so much. Again, we'll stick a load of links. Stuff on I'll there. stick the links to the articles about these four projects as yeah. well. If people are interested to see the work that's that's being done. Um, but yeah, the water voles have had a bad few decades, and it's time to give them a good few decades. Yeah. I think. I mean, from you know, doing a podcast like this often people listening will maybe wonder you know how can i help and what can i do as an individual to help water voles or curlews or or stuff like that and the the one way that you can help is either obviously volunteering in some way to uh to to, for projects that are being done on which you can find on these various sites it's not always as easy which isn't always as easy but even just a most of these sites you know 
will require a small donation. You can donate in a small way. Um, well, even beyond that, but you, you see when these organisations are going for funding, being able to prove interest is quite important. Yeah. And so even without <clears throat> having to put money anywhere, just visiting the websites, sharing articles, if there's if they again the wildlife trust and all these organizations will stick it on twitter for example when there's a period of time as there has been up until the 20th of february you can go and sign a letter to tell your water company that you want them to do better and that they need to do this and that and it's just showing that people care yeah. is, a, is is goes a long way for them to go look we want to do a restoration for this bit of land look how much the community wants it yeah and it even with big companies as well who often have very poor public image it does a bit of good for them as well and it's a lot easier to convince people to throw a bit of money at you if you can prove that the community yeah that's a really good it. point so you know even even to the point where if you are if you've got a little instagram page or whatever just and you see a post just share the post yeah, if you see a thing like it yeah you see a post about water voles share it on your story or it, it's it can be as simple as that it's, i agree it's not all about uh donating money because i know times are hard but um so it can be as simple as that, just supporting Yeah, just supporting these organisations organisations by by uh, liking or following. And if they or... stick out a call to action, which they often do, it might be sign this petition or yeah. whatever. Just being a little bit active even from the sidelines can can go a surprisingly Definitely. long way. Definitely. Um, which is nice because say not everybody has there are so many organizations if you start donating to all of them you'll, yeah. you'll lose your income yeah i'm i'm, I'm doing that at yeah the <laughs> so there are lots of ways to help uh without it becoming too difficult yeah just keep an eye on their work but but there we go that's that's the water vol that's their plight and that's hopefully their return yeah well let's hope so and, uh, and you if know, you do I'm... get a chance to see one they are they are gorgeous little creatures yeah i'm, I'm gonna go on walk down that little river in Arundel now and see if I actually spot one. Yeah, we need to get a photo for the... Need actually, get... I do have a photo. We need to get but... a photo, but not in time for putting this uh, podcast up, but uh, it's made me want to go and see if I can spot one because yeah. I spend all of my time looking for birds and actually it would be so cool to see a water vole and that is one of the places that... Yeah, it's the only place I've seen, I've seen them. Yeah, so uh, that'd be really cool. So um, so I think I think we're done, are we? Yeah, I think we'll, we'll wrap that up. I hope you've enjoyed learning about the water vole. Yeah, I certainly did. I enjoyed reading about them. Yeah. And uh, we'll catch you next and, time. And I certainly enjoyed the encouraging news that, that you read about. You know, it's not all doom and despair. People so. are always working hard for wildlife. It's brilliant. I love it. Right, thanks for listening. Thanks very much. Catch you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>